The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Good afternoon, goons. Welcome back to another episode of Jacked All Trades. Here, as always, with Kaylin and our producer, Sam. And uh, today, I thought I want to start off with a, with a, something I found in my notes. It was a trade I did back in 2016. And this is before I learned technical analysis. So I basically did this trade just on pure fundamental analysis. And it was like the best trade I've, I did in like almost seven years of investing. So I just want to show that off a little bit. So to give you some, some, some context. I'm sorry? <laughs> So that was about a year before I even started trading. Oh, is that? Oh, you've been trading a while, eh? Yeah, I started in August of 2017. So we started trading. So I learned technical analysis around that time, like just started around that time too. So we started around the same oh, yeah. time. Yeah. That's interesting. But um, but yeah, so this was uh this was my investment portfolio from 20 September 2016. Um I started off with seventy five hundred dollars back in 2012. I put most of it into Apple and I put uh, about $1,100 Canadian into it in uh, Tesla. So here's the Canadian price, but adjusted it was like $22.40 or something like that. I had 50 shares. Um, and then over time, I sold the Apple and I sold the Facebook. Facebook broke even. Apple was up like 70 something percent. And I bought into Box and Solar City, which ended up being not so good um, investments. But that's, that's, those are, those are, those are, these are good lessons though, eh? Um, I think we talked about it in an old episode. I don't know if you remember. I talked about box. Like this was this was a, a case of like investing in the right um, industry, but not understanding that the big players can come in and destroy you. Because box and Dropbox basically proved that the cloud storage business was viable. And then as soon as they proved that it's viable, Google, Amazon, and Apple came in and said, "We're going to offer the same thing for two dollars." Mm. So instead of buying them out or something, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just like yeah. they just absolutely wrecked them. <laughs> That's always the thing, man, with those little companies. It's like, they're so like, it's, it's such a fine line between like you invest in them and either it's like what you said, you know, Apple or Microsoft or something comes out with the same product for like a 10th of the price and just kills their company or they come in and buy them and then the stock fucking 10 times overnight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, it depends on how fast you can grow. Like if you have any like brand value or like customer base, but mm -hmm. I guess these guys didn't. Apple's just like, fuck you guys. <laughs> Thanks for making it work. Yeah, yeah, um, it's so easy for them too. And then I guess if they if they start getting a hint of like, oh, this might be a viable business. Like, I don't know anything about this company, but if they start thinking it's a viable business, then they're gonna hop in there and be like, all right, we gotta we gotta make this and make it better and cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Box is surviving now because they did a pivot a little bit late, but they're surviving basically on um, security features. Because for the longest time, they were the only cloud storage business that had some sort of Finra. Um, um, I, I forgot what it was, some kind of security certificate where you could put medical records and like legal documents on their cloud storage and it would be like certifiable and then nobody else could do that. So then they, I think they're doing enterprise mostly in, uh, right now. Okay, that's cool. But um, I'm surprised but yeah. it's still now. So I'm like, like, is there anything like that now for like medical um, reports and documents and things like that or no? Um, not, not to my knowledge, these guys are still the only ones because I don't think apple and those guys are pursuing it because it's like it's a lot of regulation and paperwork to go through for a very small market so i think box kind of has that niche to themselves okay yeah because a lot of their their customers are like so one of one of the features they have is like uh, one of the cu largest customers base is hospitals so the hospitals that are like um very advanced they'll have like ipads so then let's say you go get uh um uh, what do you call it um, a ct scan or something it'll be on the ipad mm. but it'll be stored on the cloud and they'll take it around and show the 
customers or, or their patients and they could just pull up all the records and stuff like that on the iPad and be stored in their in their back end. Oh, okay. So you did all so all three of these trades you said you did just purely on fundamentals, like you just looked into the company and was like, sounds good, let's buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Box was like cloud storage before that, cloud that, storage was a thing. And that was for a trade, or was that like were they originally like a long-term investment kind of thing? I had no idea about trading back then. This was this was all like where's the market's gonna go in 10 years? Let's get ahead of it. Okay. So yeah, so you still have the right idea. Cause when you said I, I bought these as a trade on fundamentals only, that's that's a little sketchy. <laughs> no, it was um the the Solar City what was a trade, but it was done on fundamentals only. Um, but, right, but it was right. it was only one trade. This this one before that it was like um, it was like yeah you build you build solar roofs and then so they had a different business model. That's why I invested in them. It's like a, there's a lot of solar roof companies, but their business model was interesting. Where it's like instead of selling you the unit, they're just going to lease it to you. So you pay so the customer pays a very marginal rate over like twenty five years. And then so the idea was if they could get enough of these things on people's roofs, they end up being um, an energy company because they own the energy. Well, it's a good business plan. I mean, if you think of like even water heaters and stuff in houses, like when I was in my condo, we didn't own the water heater. Like we had to pay our 60 or 70 bucks a month to rent the water heater as part of our like condo fees. So like yeah. that sort of stuff's pretty cool. I think that's probably a lot more attractive to people too, like depending on how much money you can save as well. Like, because I know I've looked into... Um, like I've looked into solar panels and stuff like that, even for our house, just because like I'd like to have that sort of stuff, you know, get an electric vehicle, run it off a solar panel. It's basically costing you nothing. But anytime you do the math, like I haven't looked into it recently, but it just never works out. It's like, you know, I'm going to put this solar panel on for, you know, X thousands of dollars. And then it's like, OK, so if I drive this car and run my house off of it for 48 years, it's going to pay for itself. It's like, OK, that doesn't really make sense. Like, you know, gas it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that I think that's what eventually killed them. The math could work, but then the utility companies killed them. Utilities like, yeah, we'll buy the energy from you, but at a fraction of what it's actually worth. Mm. Speaking of energy, what like do you know much about like Enbridge and those guys, like the big gas companies? Because I know like a lot of those companies, like I, I've looked into them briefly, like Northland Power and stuff like that. I know that a lot of the big energy companies are like they just they kind of keep trickling down. They pay wicked dividends. But like Enbridge, especially like a lot of the gas companies, like I, I don't know if you know anything about it. I'm just curious about like what their innovation is going to be like, because like they're going to have to start doing something a little bit more sustainable if they aren't already. Like I, like I said, I don't know much about them, but I looked into them briefly. I noticed they were very seasonal, like coming out of the winter, they were, their stocks would drop because energy gas usage would be lower. But but I actually owned yeah. um, I, I own what's that um, uh, Algonquin Power and the, the other one you men mentioned with the N. Northland? Was it Northland? Yeah, there's Northland, like Algonquin, yeah. Fortis, like those are all good energy companies around here. Yeah, those are actually um, Michael's, um, uh, or sorry, Brendan's uh, suggestions. I got in, I looked into Northland and looked into Algonquin, mostly because mm -hmm. they, they have their hands in renewables. So a lot of them own wind farms and solar farms and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I know Northland's really big into that. Like I think Northland is kind of like leading the way, to my knowledge, in that sort of avenue. Like they got a bunch of big wind farms. I think they're looking at stuff like offshore wind farms, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So they're like really innovating in that. They are. Um, but I, I, I couldn't get a good read on, on like their, where, where their position was in the market. Cause I, I would have to do so much more research and it mm. just doesn't, and it seemed like, it just seemed like very fractured. Like there's no clear winners and even in technology, there's no clear winners. I'm like, it's a kind of a, kind of a long shot. Yeah. Energy is one of those things too, where like you almost like, you almost have to like specialize in it to a certain degree. I think if you really want to do good and like, Unless you're buying, like if you're just investing for a long-term thing, if it is a good company, like, I mean, you know, long-term, that's fine. But if you're 
you're trying to go bigger in the short term. I mean, unless you really know your like energies and commodities and all that kind of stuff, I feel like that's a that's a tough uh, that's a tough market to be in because it's so competitive. Those are big monies. Like even if you look at oil and stuff like that, like the guys that trade oil, like that's huge money that those guys are putting in and out of there. I think um, it could fit into a portfolio strategy. Like if you wanted some stocks that are like relatively stable, but you wanted a you know stable income in, in form of dividends, then it could fit into a portfolio somewhere. Um, but it, but it would. I'm yeah, sorry. Like I was just gonna say, dividends are great. Like I love the idea of having like a handful of really good dividend paying stocks. Like I have a few of them, but like, you know, just getting that regular paycheck is like, it's, it's all about cash flow, right? Like, I mean, you talk to, you talk to anybody who's like really wealthy and, you know, successful. I mean, they, they always talk about like the, the number one things are your cash flow assets, which is, you know, if you have like, if you're looking at real estate, like flipping homes is not a cash flow asset. You can get stuck and get yeah. screwed if you're just flipping homes, right? Cause you're just, you're just going lump sum to lump sum to lump sum. Whereas if you have a rental property, you have consistent income coming in. It's the same thing with dividends, right? You buy, you know, you buy a stock and it's like, I mean, pretty much every stock pays a dividend, but a lot of them are essentially negligible, like how much you're going to get. So if you just buy a stock for an investment, that's not a cash flow asset. If you buy a really good dividend paying stock, then that's a cash flow asset. The more money you get in that, the more money you have coming in consistently. And that's where, that's how you can keep building your account a lot quicker, especially if you're reinvesting them. You know, you know what put me off dividends? It, it like it was one experience. So then it made me realize I don't know a lot. I need to look into it. But I bought into Ford before the coronavirus, about six months before coronavirus. Mm -hmm. I looked at the chart and I was like, these guys are are sold off pretty hard. But then they had an amazing dividend. Um, so then I was like, let's let's get into this company. If it bounces, great. If it doesn't, I still got the dividend, right? And then the fucking coronavirus hit, and then right after I bought them, uh, Ford announces, "Yeah, we're we're gonna put a freeze on the dividend." I'm like, son of a and then the fucking stock tank like 30 more <laughs> yeah so well, dividends uh, are kind of weird too because like a lot of like I've done a lot of i've done a lot of reading on them too and like and and it's one of those things where like over the long term they really pay out a lot more so like if you have a stock that say is paying like a five percent dividend even if the stock price itself is only going up like you know say one percent a year based on you know the like the overall market say doing 10 for argument's sake you know, so you're, you're earning 6% a year on your actual investment. But if you keep rolling those dividends back in, eventually down the line, you're going to hit a point where that, that 6% that you're making on that stock is significantly more than what you're getting in the market because you keep reinvesting. So your, your, your money in that, in that investment is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually you hit a point where it's like, okay, you know, if I had bought this growth stock or, you know, this index or whatever, 10, 15 years ago, then at this point now I would have X amount of dollars but I bought the dividend stock instead and it was kind of lagging behind, but then it, it almost basically goes parabolic. It hits a point where they match each other, you know, 10 or 15 years down the road, say, and then the dividend one just keeps going and going and going because you're, you just have so much more money coming in that's reinvesting itself. So like in my mind, dividends are, are much more of like a really, like, like, a, like a 15, 20 year kind of game plan. Whereas like a lot of the stocks and stuff I have are like maybe a five to 10 year sort of outlook. I think, um, no, I think you're right. You're onto something because I think the trick is first to, to so identify some companies that are like solid, like they're not going to go anywhere for like decades. And then, um, but I noticed just recently to your point um, on TD, there's a, there's an index uh, you can compare your portfolio to. It's called the total return um, index. And I didn't know what that was until I looked it up. And it turns out it's like, it's not just, it doesn't just calculate the S&P's performance over like say the past year. It also calculates all the companies that do pay a dividend and what happens if you reinvest that dividend over time. And so, like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much the S&P is down for the year, 
But if you if you if you calculate the total return, which is reinvesting in dividends, it's actually up two point two three percent. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it just, oh, yeah. Yeah, like it's like to me it's to me it's like retirement money, right? It's like like that's that's your easy cash flow. You know, you get you get to a point where you have you know a few million bucks in the stock market or whatever. Which you know, saying that sounds like a lot of money, but if you're smart about your money, I mean, you can make an average salary, and by the time you retire, having a few million dollars in the stock market is not difficult thing to achieve and then with that amount of money i mean you know like if you what is it uh like you'd have what two and a half million dollars in a dividend stock it'd be like around a hundred thousand a year and payout something like that so yeah. i mean you can easily live like by the, by the time your mortgage is paid off and everything and you're retired i mean you got a hundred grand coming in from dividends you're you're set right you don't have to worry about anything so i think that's something I, i'm going to start looking at at some point um maybe not near future but very but mid midterms because like what i i think we talked about it once on the podcast whereas like i i realized just after this past two years that you know when you first start investing or at least when i first started investing i don't have much and so like to invest in a dividend stock it's like it's consistent but it's it may be a little bit slow and then so like depending on your risk profile like what i did was i just went all in on a couple of and, and that is a good segue to this trade but i basically went all in on a few moves and those moves gave me a giant sum but then what COVID taught me was that, you know, you could take a risk early on because you don't have a lot to lose. But then once you have a lot to lose, it's like your strategy should start to change a little bit. Like I can't keep doing all ins with like just an ever growing pot. Like eventually I'm gonna get destroyed. Yeah, and that's that's why like if you talk to any bank or financial advisor, like they have those like different brackets they put you in, right? Where they say if you know you're if you're sixty years old, you should have, you know, fifty percent or whatever it is of your assets and say GIC. Yeah, twenty twenty percent in bonds, and then you have like, you know, five or ten percent in and shit like you know bitcoin or tesla or like these volatile stocks or whatever not that they're bad but just yeah. that like you don't want to be 70 years old watching your your whole portfolio drop by 80 <laughs> <laughs> percent can you even take that stress at that age no no like at, at that point it's like you know you, like maybe five percent of your portfolio just to put, like mess around with but other than that that's why, yeah that's why like in our you know in our age you can you can do that sort of thing and we can recover from it because we're still working and everything so yeah so so that brings me to this trade it was like it was a ball it's the ballsy trade i did i got even up until this point maybe outside of crypto um but in terms of equities it's still the ballsiest trade i ever did so what had happened was um this was september 2016 and a few months earlier tesla announced that they were going to they tendered an offer to buy solar city um for x amount of dollars and what it the, the the issue was like Solar City was not profitable at all because the business model I explained to you was basically like it's capital intensive, right? Because they're they're eating the cost of the hardware first and then trying to gain uh, revenue over you know decades over the years, right? And so it's a matter of like how long can you keep raising money for? Um, and then so they they got to a point where it was like they were they the customer installations were huge. They were like number two or number one in the U.S. for installations, but they just couldn't they just couldn't sustain the business model. And so Tesla made an offer to buy them because um, uh, Elon's cousins owned the company, and he actually is a is a part owner too. Um, and so what had happened was the street undervalued the stock by quite a bit. Um, I think it was about thirteen or fourteen percent. Um, even so, basically Elon offered X amount per share, and it, it just like Twitter, even though he offered X amount per share, the stock was trading at lower because they thought that the deal wouldn't go through. And then, and so this is where my qualitative analysis went well, kicked in because I'm like. You know, I understand the street's fear that it doesn't go through, but I also understand Elon wouldn't announce a thing unless he knew it would go through, right? 
So I did a little mm -hmm. checking and it turns out like, so basically the, the two hurdles you ha it has to go through is basically the board of directors have to approve the merger or, or the acquisition. And then the, the shareholders have to approve of the acquisition, right? Back then, even back then, Elon was a cult hero. So then I knew that the shareholders would approve of it. It was just a matter of the board. And then if you look at the, the, the demographics of the board, it was basically Elon, his brother, um, early investors of PayPal. So basically guys that Elon's made money for. And it was, it was basically a sold thing. It's like, I looked at the board, I'm like, there's no way these guys would, would have said no. And so knowing that the deal would have gone through, I sold all my Tesla here. So it was like, I don't know, it was like $13,000 worth. And I sold mm -hmm. my box, I sold everything, cleared out the, in all like $23,000. I bought pure Solar City, and I did a calculation um, so it, it would, it would convert. So one, um, one solar city share would be equal to 0 0.11, uh, Tesla shares, <clears throat> excuse me. So I had 240 shares of solar city and we convert to like 50 shares of, um, for, uh, 50 shares of Tesla. And I did, and I did the calculation. Basically if it adjusted, I would have made, um, $3,396, And then if the market rebound, market rebounds means like basically Tesla stock tanked right after they announced that acquisition. So I, I was like, so if the. If the shares converted, I would have just made three three grand easily. But if the shares converted and Tesla price went back to where it was at the beginning of the year, I would have made about seven thousand dollars on, on that right. just that trade. It's just an arbitrage, basically, right? Um, market inefficiency, whatever you like to call it. Anyway, it it it, it happened. I went all in on Tesla, twenty three thousand dollars. The shares converted. I ended up with like seventy five shares of Tesla, um, which today would be worth would be about three hundred and seventy five shares um, after the split. Um, but yeah, like so. So 20, late 2016, all the way to 2019, 2020, I had only Tesla, one stock. And during that period, the, te the damn shares like uh, collapsed 50% twice, 35% three times. So it was like, it was like a nerve wracking ride. But, but over the course of that time, um, let me see if I can pull it up actually, the chart. But I, I remember, just like as a side, I remember that whole period because like, there was, I think it was right before like Tesla really started to take off, like before the split, it was like, it kept chopping around between what was it like 150 and 220 odd dollars for like, it seemed like years, like years. And like, it was huge on the day trading side of things. Cause like, it was so linked to Elon that like he would, he would tweet something and a stock would just gap down 15% and then it would be super volatile that day. So like everybody loved trading it. And then when I saw it, like, I've always liked the company and then I saw it kind of starting to go up and like really break to new highs. And I think it got up to like 400 bucks or something. And I was like, I remember sitting there, it was like a week. I had a whole bunch of money and I was like, I was just like battling with myself. I was like, Oh, I was like, I don't know if I should just throw all this in there. Cause I was like, I think it's going to go, but like, I don't know. I don't know. And like, you know, this is like before what I know now, obviously if I knew what I know now, then I would have invested in it, but I never ended up doing it. And then I just, you know, sat there on the sidelines, watched it go all the way up to like 2000 or whatever it was pre-slit. Yeah, that, that's exactly what happened here. Um, pre, uh, they announced the Solar City uh, thing and the, the stock basically tanked and then it just kind of oscillated here for a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 it made this move because they, amount, they announced the Model 3, the, um, you know, the, I guess the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the broader market car. So, so it went up and then the Model 3 rollout was just complete dog shit. So then the stock kept like tanking. Like, what is this like? One of this moves was like 30, 33%. Yeah. 30, 35%. Here's a 50%. I remember that one. 53% <laughs> in the period, in, the, in, in like one year. Unreal. Yeah. But, but like, so I got in, was it all in was around here. And then it just kind of oscillated a little bit. And then that was the big jump that I started um, selling into. Yeah. But yeah, like, <clears throat>
yeah, so that was like the biggest bet I made going all in here and then getting this ride up. Um, actually, I sold a bunch before COVID and then COVID happened. And then, yeah, I just, I did, I never got all in again because I started diversifying. This is when I realized, excuse me, that you can't like, you can't do all in anymore. Like, you know, thank the gods yeah. that it worked the first time, but <laughs> you know. It's tough too, man. Like it takes a lot, like, you know, kudos to you for doing that. Cause that, that takes guts, man. I wouldn't be able to do that myself. You sure? Like even if you knew <laughs> a company really well? maybe i mean it's just not my thing either right like i'm not like i'm not as like i'm not like as involved in individual companies as you are like i don't i don't obsess over that kind of stuff like you are like i'm more just i'm more just a trader right i just love the technicals and stuff like that so for me to for me to bury myself in a company and just learn everything about it inside out and backwards like i just i don't have the attention span for that because i just don't have the love for it like you do yeah i i don't know i don't know where it came from but it actually is an advantage now i realize like because i know i knew a lot about tesla but over the years i've just learned a lot about the ev space and like I, i'm learning about batteries and learning about motors and everything like that so like it's helped a lot because so a lot of the new new ev startups that are coming out like i can eyeball it be like yeah it's dog shit yeah it's dog shit most people are like ah, but why but i'm like just because i've had almost like 10 years of research behind this stuff i yeah. kind of know what's what's viable and what's not but you know it's really good those like it's it's the same thing that like you know it's kind of ironic that we call ourselves jacked of all trades but like you know you you really want to be a master of one like that's all you want to be as a trader like you hear all these guys like oh you got to learn how to do this and that and do the other thing and you got to go short you got to go long you got to learn how to trade breakouts you got to learn how to do this and that and it's like it's not true i mean like even if you look like look at buffett i mean he he's like arguably the greatest investor of all time and how did he do that he just he just traded what he knew he only bought stuff he only bought companies that he knew and it's the same thing with me like with with stock trading and stuff like that i mean i have a very very niche little thing that i do like it's not like you know i can just hop on the computer at you know any time of day or any stock and know what to do and know what i'm looking at like i like sure i could maybe fumble around with it just because i've seen charts long enough but like for me to be comfortable putting a lot of money into something like i need to see exactly what i'm looking for like exactly what i'm looking for if i don't I don't risk my money and it's the same thing with you right like you're not just going to go over to you know like northland power for example or like uh, coca-cola or like just you know name your name your company and just be like oh you know this chart looks great so i'm going to take the trade here like you wouldn't do that because you don't know you don't know that space as well where if you saw something similar on tesla or on neo or on xpang or like something that you understand like i would argue that you would be significantly more comfortable throwing your money into something like that because you know that space so well i think that's really the key is that like you know you myself uh you know all these investors all these traders at the end of the day they like everybody a lot of us trade the same stocks a lot of us trade the same times a day a lot of us trade really similar stuff but every single person who trades in the stock market has their own style and it's very very specific i do i honestly don't know many traders like if i can't even think of any off the top of my head that are like you know, yeah, I trade this and that and the other thing. And like most guys that I talk to that are like multi, multi, multi millionaire traders, they'll be like, yeah, I trade this type of stock in this range using the one hour chart or whatever. Like, it's just like, it's like, these are all my criteria. They got this big list. And it's like, if it doesn't tick all these boxes, I don't care. I don't risk my money. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like guys are scalpers or day traders. I'm a swing trader. Um, like 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 how many examples and just like in the past like few weeks where it's like oh look at bitcoin I'm like oh, i'm gonna do this and it did it and it's like just because i've been in bitcoin like so 
focused on it for so long where it's like, I know it, but I couldn't do that with almost any other asset. Right. But that's the key. And then you, but then you, you, you apply that. So you look at Bitcoin, which is, you know, arguably going to be around forever in the foreseeable future. You look at stuff like electric vehicles, which are going to be around forever in the foreseeable future. Then, you know, you're set. Like you just, you just trade those two spaces and you can make a whole career off it. I mean, it's no different than back in the day, like, you know, in the seventies and stuff like that, when you go to the, the New York stock exchange on the floor, like they have the little, the circles. It's like, these are the coffee traders, you know, these are the wheat traders. These are the corn traders. Like there's guys that literally worked 20 years in the stock market. All they did was trade coffee. That's it. You know, coffee inside out and backwards worth hundreds of million dollars. Couldn't tell you anything about any else, but you know, coffee, I know coffee. I trade it. I make millions of dollars. That's it. I don't need anything else. Right. Yeah. I, I, those open outcry guys, man, they like, they'll look at like the weather patterns and like the, yeah. the farm yields and shit. You get good at something, right? It's, it's like anything. You look at any discipline where you can be a professional. Look at a professional athlete. I mean, you could be a professional basketball player. It doesn't mean that you're going to go play in baseball and be, you know, <laughs> Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that. <laughs> you know, but he's, but he wasn't that great. Right? Yeah. right? Or it's like, you know, you're not going to be a golfer and then just go play football. Like, yeah, if you look at it, it's like, sure, they're all competitive sports. But they're their own very specific discipline. It's the same here. Yeah, sure. They're all trading. They're all the stock market. But they're all their own very specific discipline that you have to specialize in if you want to be really good at something. Yeah. And actually, there's a good there's a guy that supports your your argument for that. There's, have you ever heard of a guy named Herschel Walker? No. Any listener wants to look up a, like a really amazing athlete, look up this guy named Herschel Walker. He today he's in his like fifties or sixties. He looked jacked like any twenty year old, and he's just like a just like a superhuman dude. And he played like multiple sports, but the problem was he never, he was never even close to the pinnacle of any of the sports he played because he did everything. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with Olympic athletes, right? I was reading a thing on Usain Bolt and he's like, he made some comment. He's like, how I, how, I worked, you know, nine years every day or to run for nine seconds or something like that. And he's like, people give up after two years of working five days a week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the same idea. But if you, translate that into trading it's like okay you work nine or ten years to get so fantastically good at doing one thing that you can make a million dollars in a day right it's like Usain Bolt he got so so good at that 10 seconds of his life when he's running that he is like you know you just take that and roll with it and ride off into the sunset kind of thing yeah. but you don't get, you don't get there by fumbling around trying a million different things and doing this for a little while it's the same thing that we've talked about before even like with how do you find out what you're good at, right? Because there is so many different things to do and you just have to try, right? So you, but when you do try, you stick to one specific thing. So like if you're gonna try to be a long trader on the daily chart on breakouts or whatever it's gonna be, you do that for like, you know, six months or so at least and only do that, track everything about it, see if you can gain some traction. If it's just nothing's clicking at all, pick something else. Then you look at a different style setup. You look at, you know, shorting on a smaller time frame or a bigger time frame or, going long on a different setup or whatever it is, but you have to just really, in my opinion, anyways, you have to really focus in on one specific thing. It's like you with your Fibonacci lines, right? Like that's, that's your bread and butter. Like you can, you can draw those things in anywhere and you can always make money off those. Cause that's, you've tried, but we've talked about this on the show, how many other things you've tried and how they didn't work or you could just never find consistency. And then all of a sudden you just keep doing one thing after the other, after the other. And then eventually you find like, Oh shit, this actually works. And then you really dive into it and then you get good at it and you just stick with it. Yeah, 
the thing with those those a lot of those indicators like a lot of them overlap I, you probably experienced them right a lot, a lot of them will tell you the same thing but the problem is when they, a lot of them tell you the same thing and they tell you some divergent things too then it's like oh what, which one do i fucking listen to right so then like it's important to find the one that you like and it's like okay this is like a good signal that i like to look at you kind of cut out all the other noise and you can just work around it and then you always have to be like prepared to take a loss like we always say on any trade right you can never be overly committed because it's like you're saying if you have you know you have 10 different indicators and two of them aren't validating what your number one indicator is showing that might be the time that you're going to lose potentially but you just have to take every trade and, and the, the way that you know that your system works is by cataloging it and saying okay i know that you know six and a half times out of ten i'm gonna i'm gonna make money on this trade and every time i make money on this trade it's it's two times more than i lose on this trade so you just take it every time and that's just part of your system like losing is part of the game it's just all mathematics at that point yeah i was just gonna say that i'm like i think a lot of people have this mentality where it's like once you learn this thing you, you don't have to be wrong it's like no you should plan to be wrong just be mm -hmm. wrong less than you're, you're you're right and then you're good or not even that, like just be just be wrong smaller than when you're right, yeah. you know? <laughs> like like if your right. average loss is 10% of your average win, then you can be wrong five times in a row, six, seven, eight times in a row and get one big win. Like the guy, like the guy, I, the guys that I know that are like that are those guys that are like the all-day fader guys, they call them, where it's like they basically just want to like a stock gaps up and they just short it in the morning and then they cover it at the close. And that's it. And they like they just have this system. I don't know how they do it because it's not my style, but They'll just basically short it right at the open at 930 and then they cover it at the close and like it'll go all over the place, do whatever. But that's how it works. But I see a lot of these guys when they take a loss, you know, they might take a, you know, they might take a thousand dollar loss, a thousand dollar loss, a thousand dollar loss. And they're like, OK, it's not working and they'll just cut it. And then the next day they'll take, you know, a, a two thousand dollar loss and they'll be like, OK, that one's not working either. The next day, OK, a three thousand dollar loss. All right. That one's not working either. The next day. All right. This one worked. I just made 60 grand. You know, so like it's mentally, it's a really tough like style because you you lose more than you win for the most part. But when you win, it's like fifteen times bigger than when you lose. So you got to yeah. be a little bit of a psychopath to be able to do that. But <laughs> yeah, that's a different calculation metric. It's like, yeah, I'm wrong ninety percent of the time, but the one time I'm right, yeah, it's just <laughs> I make a thousand like, times. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Like I know, I know a couple guys that trade like that, and I look at them, I'm just like, man, I could not do that because like it would just drive me insane losing that much man they must like punish me like i just like wrong 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 <laughs> okay. i mean like you gotta be a sociopath like it's not yeah. human <laughs> that's fucking funny yeah. but yeah like remember you remember that the podcast we i don't know if you still listen to it but like i listened to it a lot back in the day chat, uh, chat with traders i remember yeah. there's a bunch of guys on there that were saying like their their hit rate was like 50 60 percent maybe but then they were very profitable because the profitable trades were very they ride them out and then the, the losses they cut them early yeah exactly and there's there's some traders who are the other way where like you know they're they'll lose maybe five percent of the time on their system but their loss will be say six or seven times bigger than their win right so they'll win you know they'll win like five percent five percent five percent five percent 20 times in a row and then they'll lose 80% on their loss. Right. But that system still works because it's just kind of the opposite of the other one. You're, you're making all these small wins and it's enough to cover your one big loss, but that's part of the system. You know, so, I like, would, I, that, that happened to me when I was doing Bitcoin, but because I was playing both sides, so I would be shorting, I would be going long and shorting. I would just be playing the whole move. And then what I realized was when I stopped shorting, my win percentages just went up dramatically. 
Mm-hmm. I try. I try. Remember when I was doing that for a little while, where like I would get stopped out short and immediately flip and go long and then take it up. But like I, I tried doing that for a little while, but it just it just it just wasn't working for me because like then the times that it would tank, then I'm like, oh shit, and I'd try to get back in short again, and it would just like it would just be a nightmare. So I, I stopped doing that. But there there was like like. There, there's a there's a level where I know that if I'm getting stopped out, like it's gonna fucking it's gonna just rip up to the moon, right? So I was doing that for a little while, where like if I stopped out, I was like, okay, if it if it hits my stop, it's gonna be a long. And I did that for a little while, but I just I just ended up tripping over myself too many times. And I couldn't get enough traction, so I was like, you know, what? I don't I don't need this kind of stress in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What did you? What was it that you wanted to show in your chart, uh, or you wanted to talk about where the markets were, or something like that? Yeah, I just kind of want to look like really maybe just you know I got another five minutes here until I gotta yep. take the chicken out of the oven. So, <laughs> do you want me to stick to me on the SP five hundred? Yeah, do, yeah. Do you want to just pull up the SP really quick and we can take yeah. a look at it? All right. Because like I'm kind of on the fence. I really like. I feel like it needs to go lower at this point. Like I feel like it needs to go down to like the three like high three fifties. To be completely honest. Oh, you know what's funny? You said that. I did. Um, I was talking to Brendan a few a few times ago, and I said it looked like it was going to go to the thirty five hundred. That's what, where the like right here where the bottom was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Right there. I wanted to go yeah. there. Yeah. What well, because I just look at like like whenever I'm looking at like S and really like to look at like the like at least the weekly or the monthly. Like I don't really look at the daily, just because like if you're looking at the daily, like yeah, it can give you kind of shorter term moves, but it's you're you're really looking at the broader picture here on the markets, right? Yeah. Here's the monthly. But, it's, it's a lot cleaner. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if you look there, is that the one month? Yeah. Yeah. So the one month we have that kind of like indecision candle right before the one that we're in now, the red one that we're in. Yeah. If you look at the volume, it's not, it's not any kind of significant volume. Like it's not any higher than anything else. Right. So that, like that tells me that that's just pure indecision. Like nobody really knows which way it's going. And then if you flip over to the one week really quick. Yeah. um, Can you kind of like zoom that in? So it stretches it a little bit higher. Yeah, so if you go back to what was it uh, May, like the beginning of May, that that big top wick candle there, maybe like five back right there, that back, yeah, that one right there. So that one there is on like the highest volume in like the you know near term, and that's a rejection, right? So that's that's telling me there's a lot of selling pressure, and that kind of matches up with the big bottom wicks that we saw from back in you know end of February and end of January, those two green candles. So like those were big, those were basically people trying to buy the dip. And then once that breaks, you have that other candle that kind of lines up with it on the top wick there in May, where that's everybody kind of panic selling out of it. So like there's a lot of there's a lot of selling pressure that I'm seeing. And like I said, I mean, I think the 3500 area, like high 3500s is a good place to base. But like at this point right now, I mean, I, I still think we're in a downtrend realistically, because I don't see anything like screaming at me like i saw a lot of stuff in individual stocks over the last like two three weeks that were telling me they were they were reversing but i have but the overall market is the s p and the s p is not telling me that it's ready to reverse yet so it i still like, think we have one side trying to see what it looks like in what is this the 2000 yeah this is COVID. i've just seen if there's any similarities between COVID and the sell-off right now not really it was we got that big 400 or like four, you know 400 to four thousand, depending which one you're looking at like that was a pretty strong line if you do go to the daily like it was a, it was a fast drop over those levels so like they kind of tried to 
they kind of try to hold that, you know, 414 sort of prior uh, base level. And it held there for a little while, held there for a little while. And then just last week, it, it just really pulled off of it hard. Oh, this one you're talking about currently? Yeah. Oh, like Jesus, right a gap down. Yeah, like it, it it pulled hard off of that level. So it was kind of consolidating over like 409, Ooh. 409. And it just couldn't hold it. And like when it dropped, like you look at the volume on that, uh, the day that we had there on Friday, like this pretty big day. But but if you look back too on, uh, what was the day there? May 20th, I think it was. We had a we had a pretty high volume um, daily candle where it wicked down, and then we got that big strong bounce off of it. So that that's a nice reversal signal right there, and you can see that it did. You know, we got like we hit a lower low than we did on uh, May twelfth, but that indication is really strong for a bounce up. So my like my concern right now is because we had that reversal signal again. Like the daily is a pretty short time frame, so I don't put too much weight on it for the overall markets, but like. We had that reversal signal. We had a really strong push up over the 400, which is just that normal psychological level. And it held there for a while. And now we failed. So, like, to me, if we fail that prior low that we had down at, like, you know, the 380 area, I think we're going to go really quick down to that 3500 range. And then that will hopefully bounce big and support it. Like, we need a real, we need a strong bounce that's going to get us through at least two resistance areas. Like, once we get through two resistance areas with strength and sit over top of that, like to me, that would be the true trend reversal signal. But until that Check happens, that we're just trending down. We're hitting resistance, trending down, hitting resistance, trending down. It's just kind of carrying Check on. Check that out. That's that's why I thought thirty five hundred. It wasn't it wasn't any of the thing chart. It was my fibs. This is a fib extension, and right in the the golden pocket, the six one eight level is this is what we're talking about. That that price level. Yeah, like, like, I just draw lines based on candles and use the Fibonacci. We always hit the same levels. It's hilarious. I literally have like two tools I use. They're both based on the Fibonacci, and we both hit it every time using different things. Yeah, I, use, I look at the chart and I find lines. Well, I guess two. I use volume and lines. Yeah, yeah. So funny. All right, yeah, that's it. We'll call it there. High thirty five hundreds. That'll be the bottom. <laughs> when do you, when do you when do you think it'll hit? Summer or, or fall? I think it'll be fast, man. Like uh, just because of that reversal. Like and again, I know it's the daily and it's kind of a short-term time frame for this, but even on the monthly, like with that indecision candle, and then the weekly, we have an indecision candle. So we got we got the we got the reversal candle in the daily, and then we have a, a indecision, indecision on the on the larger time frame. So like that's an area of interest, regardless of which way you look at it. So like to me, if that breaks. It's going to break hard and it's going to be fast, but that's good because if we get a really fast wash after a fast wash, I mean, look at COVID, you know, you always get a pretty fast bounce back up and then that's going to, that's going to signal everybody to be like, Oh shit, look at the deals we're getting. And then they start buying back in and then you get that reversal. So I yeah. think so. I mean, like if that breaks, if that breaks and we trend and we just kind of keep trickling down, that would be worse in my opinion, because that means, you're just getting that steady grind. It's the same thing that I look for, like when I'm shorting or stuff like that. Like if I have a big parabolic move up into my level, like that's just chasing that's panic. I can short that. And I know I'm going to get a really fast move back the other way. And then that trend is going to reverse and it's going to keep going down. Whereas if I have a really slow grind up, you know, guys that are shorting, they're trying to short and then it just keeps grinding. They try to short and it keeps grinding. It doesn't give them a chance. doesn't give them a dip by to cover out. So that's when you get that fast, that accelerating move. And it's the same thing here. Whereas if it's just, we're just trickling down, people are dip buying and it doesn't really pop enough for them to sell. And they're dip buying and their positions are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they keep going lower. 
And then eventually you, you get to that point where it just washes out really fast. So we need that fast washout, in my opinion. I hope it happens, you know, in the next month or two to, to basically hit that 3,500 area and then, re, and then ch- change the trend. And then we start reversing back up. But if we keep grinding down slowly into that 3,500 area, then I would, I would honestly think that we're going to go quite a bit lower than that. We just, we just need that fast wash to, to flush everything out and signal the trend reversal. Yeah, I, 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 I agree hundred percent. I'm just drawing this nonsense. Cause I think um, it's just a pure, pure guess. But like just reading the volume, like especially in the long run, I think what's going to happen is like, you're right. It's going to come down really hard, but it's going to be very, very low volume. It's going to be a bunch of like loose hand selling, but but mm-hmm. a lot of giant jumps in price. Then it's going to bounce up a bit and then come back down, just oscillate a little bit sideways before it goes up, but on really low volume. Yeah, it's going to be really low volume. Yeah, as long as we see that that like that 380 level, if we see that break hard and it washes fast, like that'll... I'll be happy to see that. Like, yeah, my account's going to go down, but I'll be happy to see that because that, that to me is going to tell me that we're about ready to reverse. Now, see, the, that makes me wonder, like, how much is that going to translate into, like, another stock, like, say, NVIDIA or, like, Tesla? Because now I want to set up, I have buy orders, but now I want to see if I can match it to this 10% drop on the S&P. Yeah. You still picking up NVIDIA? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to look into buying like i'm buying all the way down i'm not trying to pick the bottom like i just keep investing every month like i like i do oh yeah dca yeah okay i don't care like it's long like it's long term right i mean i'm just i'm just saying this for guys that are trying to trade the market i don't trade the market you know what's crazy i I allocate more cash to certain time frames so like if like right now for example like if i see this 380 break and i see it start to wash hard i'll probably hold back a little bit of cash for for a while because at that point i'm pretty confident it's going to the 350 area so instead of buying all the way down i'll you know i'll try and get a little bit more into the bottom and ideally like you know maximize my move up but like the i don't VPBR, sorry the vpbr is showing some real support at 34. 34. yeah just well, on that'd volume that'd transactions be, that'd be the COVID highs right yeah like the pre-covid highs i should say so yeah we'll see Anyways, I gotta take my chicken out of the oven. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm just wondering if this is gonna happen. This is like February 2024. If we're gonna see a couple handle, like this is like so far out that it's gonna be probably not even close to it. But I just, it would be so cool if that happened. If we did yeah. a couple handle all the way into like 20 late 2024 and just go boom, like 2025, three years from now, three years from now we're gonna see in like a new bear uh, bull market. That's that's always what I kind of expected was like it would take probably at least three, four years to see new highs. Like as soon as we started downtrending, I wasn't expecting this to to hit new highs immediately. I'm gonna save this chart. We've all been saying too in our group and everything, you know, we keep saying, you know, in another three years we'll be la- we'll be happy we're we're buying what we did. So that's what you know, that's what everybody's saying. And so that means if we're right, then the next six months, eight months, maybe twelve months is the bottom. Yeah, and then you just keep loading, but that's even I mean, you just keep loading up, right? I mean, if you're investing in good stuff, like we always say, you just keep keep buying and buying and buying in and a few years down the road you'll be happy because it's the same thing all the time after those big bear markets or recessions or whatever you always get the biggest bull markets i mean you look at 2008 you look at 2020 i mean that's when you get your biggest returns you don't get your biggest returns just when things are kind of coasting along this 2008 this is uh 134 percent um in what three years three four years it is 60 months whatever that is five years four years 60 months so 130 percent in four or five years i'd take that 
Yeah, like that's yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty crazy gain. I mean, look at look at um the O1.com bubble is another hundred. So within 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 a 10 year span, you had within within a 10 year span, 130 months or so, you, you had two opportunities to double your money. So imagine you doubled here and you doubled there. That'd have been four X in a 10 year span. Be patient. Don't panic. Don't sell when you're down. Unless you're in a shitty company, then you probably want to bail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right. I think we could probably wrap it up on that note. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, guys. Later, Goons.